let me give you just a, a little bit of introduction. I think giving to God is probably one of the most misunderstood topics in church life and in Christian life. We're taught the what. You need to give. You need to give. You need to give. You need to give tithes. You need to give offerings. You need to give first fruits. We teach these things, but we don't always teach the why behind the what. And growing up in church, I heard about giving and tithing my whole life. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. I became a young man, began to get my own money, and I had to make up my mind for myself. What do I do with this money? And week after week, I was told, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give. But, you know, like Corey was saying, when you're young especially, it's hard to give when there's just not much there. And as you get older, you get your house, you get your cars, you get your family, you get all this stuff, and it's hard to carve out a piece for God. And what I found was, as a young man going into the ministry, I wanted to obey God because the law said you need to give, you need to give, you need to give. But I didn't understand the why. Therefore, I was separated from the grace that would open my heart to understanding giving. And as a result, through my younger adult years, for several years, I struggled trying to obey and trying to give what I felt like I had to give and it was always a matter of I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Because I didn't understand the real heart of giving and the principles behind giving. How many of you know if you don't fully understand something, sometimes you don't handle it well? You know, I got a little illustration, little video I want to show you here in just a second. While they're getting it queued up, let me tell you the story behind it. There was this retired couple. You know, they retired and, you know, the husband's trying to figure out, okay, I'm, I don't work anymore. What do I do with my life? And he's sitting around the house one day driving his wife crazy. And finally she said, hey, I got something you can do for me. How about you run the vacuum cleaner? All these years of marriage, you've never run the vacuum cleaner, okay? And she said, okay, I got a few minutes. I'll do that. So he goes off to run the vacuum cleaner and she's in the kitchen cooking and doing some stuff. You know, about 10 minutes goes by and she looks and he's sitting over there again in his easy chair and he, she hasn't seen him vacuuming, hasn't heard the vacuum. She's thinking, what in the world's going on? And she turned and she said, have you vacuumed yet? He said, no, I couldn't get it started. So I want you to watch the video. This is what happens when you don't understand something. How, how many wives just saw your husband, huh? Yeah, that, that's about right. You know, I just couldn't get the thing started. Well, sometimes I think giving works the same way. And, you know, some weeks ago, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to teach a couple of Sundays about why you give. So today and next week, I'm going to talk about why I give. I know some of you say, well, I, I got plans next week. I sure won't be there. That's okay. You're going to hear enough today to get you on track. But let, let me tell you about a common quote I hear from people. I hear this at church. I hear it out in the community. I hear it from people in the golf course who I meet. You know, you go to church and all they do is talk about money. You ever heard people say that? And you go to church, all they do is talk about money. On the average Sunday morning in our church, church services, which are usually 70, 75 minutes, the average Sunday morning service, we talk about offering our giving to God for an average of about two minutes. That takes Corey a little longer because he's young and he has to tell stories. But 
On average, we talk about money for about two minutes a week. So for some of you, that's two minutes a month or four minutes a month or six minutes a month or eight minutes a month. It's not much of a month. And, and here's the interesting thing. How many of you watch TV? Okay, everybody watches TV. I know at some point in time. In the average hour of watching television, if you sit down and watch TV for an hour, in that hour, you will see approximately 17 minutes of commercials. 17 minutes in the average hour. But we don't ever complain. We don't ever throw anything at the TV because they're passing the hat trying to get us to buy something. How about radio? You listen to radio when you're in your cars or so forth. On the average radio hour, the average hour, you hear them talk about uh, commercials for 14 minutes. 14 minutes out of the average hour. And we come to church and we, we take up an offering to give to God to support his work. We talk about offering for two minutes and people say, you go to church and that's all you hear about. Money, 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 money. It's not true. Truth is, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. If you go back in the Old Testament and read Proverbs, at least 100 times the writers in Proverbs spoke about wealth and money at least 100 times. Every day of our lives, we talk about money. Money this, money that. Where's my debit card? I've got to have this. Money, money, money. And husbands and wives and families talk about money constantly. What's this going to cost? What's that going to It's money, money, money. But isn't it interesting that the Bible talks about money? We talk about money every single day. But when we come to church, some people don't want to hear anything about giving back to God. Why, why would the church be silent about an issue that already consumes our lives? Why is that? Well, in my personal journey with God, I want to talk to you this morning about some things I've learned along the way. Because I'm going to tell you, today, the two highlights of my month, as much as anything else, are the two times a month that I get paid and I get to go online and I get to punch it in and give back to God. It excites me. It thrills me because God has taught me the grace of giving that goes beyond the law of giving. And I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. Why do I give? Bottom line, giving to God is an issue of the heart and it's an expression of the heart. It's an issue within the heart and it's expressed by the actions that come from our hearts. And some people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't understand why people want us to give. Did, did you know in giving to God, we are picking up and showing his nature? We learn giving from God. John 3, 16. Here's what it tells us. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Why? That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God made an investment in you and me when he gave his son Jesus to buy our redemption. God gave his one and only son with the expectation of receiving a big, big family back in return. God gave his son that he might have many sons and daughters. Romans 8, 29 teaches us that. And yet we struggle with this concept of giving and sometimes it even gets involved in our relationship with God and creates problems for us. God is a giver. 
God wants us, his children, to learn to be givers. So I want to ask you to do something. How many have enjoyed the introduction so far? I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you today to erase the mental chalkboard, set aside everything for just a few minutes, and let's look at God's word and let God speak to each of our hearts. Because today and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about partly in chronological order, what you find in Scripture about giving. Beginning with Adam and Eve on to, to Cain and Abel, where we're going to start right on through the New Testament. We're going to talk about giving and see what God says. So let's look first of all at Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1. Read along with me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now pause here just a moment. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, first of creation. Adam, Eve... They're put out of the garden because of sin. Now they start their own family, and first they have a son, and the first son is named Cain. So she conceived and bore Cain, and she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Verse 2. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. So you got Cain and Abel, the first two children born. Now Abel was a rancher, a keeper of sheep, but Cain, the older, was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. So in those days, the first family in history, when their sons grow up, one is a farmer, the oldest is a farmer, the second one is a herdsman or a rancher. And so they start their careers and they start their lives. Verse 3, in the process of time, we don't know how long it was, but somewhere in time it came to pass that Cain, now notice the words, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. How many of you like to just give your fat to the Lord and let him have it? Wouldn't it be a great thing to do? I'm trying to figure that one out. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So two brothers bring to the Lord Cain brings of what he had grown in the field. And it says he brought an offering. Abel brought his firstborn of his flock and of the very best that he had. I'll get into that more in a moment. It says Abel's offering was respected. Then it says in verse number five, but God did not respect Cain and his offering. We'll stop there for now. Evidently, some way, somehow, God communicated to, to these two brothers and told them, I want you to bring something to me. And evidently, God communicated exactly what he wanted from them. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how God did it. We don't know if mom and dad introduced them to this. We don't know how it came about. But God told them both, I want you to bring something to me. And they both brought something to God. And the picture we get here is either side by side or near similar times, they each brought something to God. It says that Cain brought an offering of his crops. The word offering here means an apportion. He took a portion of his crops, and it also means a donation. He took a portion, a donation, and he said, here, God, I'm going to give you a donation. And Scripture literally says in the original writings, God just turned his head away and wouldn't look at it. Interesting. But then it said, Abel, his brother, brought the firstborn of his flock and its fat. 
The word firstborn means the first offspring of the animals. The first offspring, he brought it to God. And he brought the fat, which in, in the original writings means the choicest part. So he brought the first and the best that he had, and he gave it to God as an expression of love. Number one, number one, I give. This is what I've learned through the years. I give because giving is worship to God. Giving is worship. I'm going to talk to you about this for a few minutes. Giving is worship to God. It's an expression of honor. The first reason I give is because God is God. He's my God. There's nobody like him. I trust him with all of my heart, and I want him to be first in my life. So what do I bring to God? I bring to him the first of my increase and the best that I have before I do anything else. I bring the first and the best, and I give it to God. Why? Because he asked me to do that. I believe if you study Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, our first and our best belongs to God. And he asked us to bring it to him. Now, if you take time this morning, and, and I want to do this, not to take time, but I want to do this because I think it's important for us to grasp. If you begin to walk through the Old Testament in the book of Genesis and see how worship and how giving develops, you'll find some interesting things. This is the first place where we see people really bringing and giving to God. It's the first record. But... If you go back, you find that Noah, or go forward rather, you find that Noah built an altar to God and offered to God on that altar. You find that Abraham built an altar. As a matter of fact, over and over and over again in his lifetime, Abraham built several altars in Scripture, and he put sacrifices on those altars. You find that Jacob, his grandson, built altars to God. You find that Moses built altars to God and put sacrifices on those altars. And what they would do is they would take wood and stones, they'd pile it up, they'd make this table of this altar, they'd kill an animal, cut it up in pieces, lay it on, that sac on, on the top of that altar as a sacrifice, and then they would set it on fire and burn it up. So it wasn't for them to take and consume. They brought the first and the best and they gave it to God. And here's the interesting thing. The Old Testament calls this Worship. As a matter of fact, the first time you see the word worship in the Old Testament is when Abraham took his own son Isaac at God's command and laid him on an altar. And it was called worship. Worship. You build an altar and you give something to God of value. I, I was looking this week, or, or I guess it was a few days ago, 10 days ago or so, I was looking, doing some studying, and I was trying to figure out what the price of a calf would be today. And I found all kinds of answers from all kinds of people. But you know, how many know on, on Google you can find all kinds of stuff? I was Googling along. And I found out that a, a calf that's born, a newborn calf, depending on its breed and its future and what it might produce, a newborn calf can be worth anywhere from a couple of hundred dollars to maybe even $20,000, depending on what it is. And I realized, wow, 
A newborn calf is worth a lot of money. And yet the first time you see somebody giving to God, they take something that's very valuable, that has an amazing future, the very best calf they have, and they bring it to God and put it on the altar, cut it in pieces, burn it up, and say, there, God, that's yours. That is worship. I begin to learn some things as I studied God's word. Worship comes with a cost. In our church, when we start services Sunday morning, we call the first part of our service praise and worship. Praise is when you thank God for the things that he's done. But worship in Scripture means one thing. It means this. It means to get out of my hands and knees and bow before God and just worship God and honor God. To declare that God is the only God, he's the only one, and my life is committed to him. So Sunday mornings we have praise when we thank God for what he's done, but in worship... We're honoring God for who he is and for what he is. And so these sacrifices, these altars in the Old Testament, they're called worship. And I learned as I studied that worship costs something. It costs Abel something. I was looking at, at the story of David in 2 Samuel 24, when David had sinned against God, and as a result, a plague broke out in the, in the land, and people began to die because of this plague. And so God sent a prophet to him and said, you need to go to this certain place where this guy owns this property. His name is Arano. Go there. He has this threshing floor where they, they thresh wheat. You need to buy that threshing floor and turn it into an altar and offer sacrifices to stop this plague. So David, wanting to stop the plague among his people, goes to this guy's place, this farm, this, this place, this ranch. And he goes to Arano, and Arano sees the king coming. And man, the, the, Arano's all impressed, saying, wow, the king's here at my place. And he runs out and says, king, what can I do for you? And King David says, Arano, I want to buy your threshing floor so I can make an offering to God. And Arano looks at him and says, oh, king, I'm so honored that you're here on my property. You don't need to buy my threshing floor. Yeah, it cost me some time and money to build it, and it's valuable to me. But you know what? You just take it and use it for whatever you want to use it for. I don't want any money. As a matter of fact, whatever you need for the altar, let me know, and I'll give you that. And not only that, I'll bring the animals. I'll bring the sacrifices. As many as you need, I'll bring it and give it all to you. And David stopped him and said, Oh, no, wait a minute. You're missing the point. I cannot offer something to God that cost me nothing. Worship comes with a cost. Worship comes with a cost. And, and notice what it goes on to say. Notice how God responds. It said God had respect on Abel's offering. He brought his first and his best, and God respected it. But his brother Cain brought just an offering, and basically what Cain said was, God, I'll give you what I want to give you, and you'll be happy with it. Do you understand? And God did not respect it. Now, we don't know exactly how God respected and did not respect, but we know that it was obvious. Now, and there are some instances in the Old Testament when people built an altar and fire from heaven just came up just supernaturally and consumed the sacrifice without them ever putting it on fire. It might be that when Abel laid his offering out that fire from heaven consumed it and Cain laid out his offering and God did nothing. 
We don't know how it was respected, but what it says in the original writings is God looked upon Abel's offering and said, I receive it. He looked upon Cain's and turned his head away and said, no, no, that's not what I asked for. See, in my early days of walking with God, I was told, you got to give, you got to give, you got to give. What? You got to give. Why? Well, because God said so. You got to give, you got to give, you got to give. Why? Because God said, I wasn't taught that giving to God is worship. That worship comes with a cost. And if I just come and say, oh God, you are so amazing and it costs me nothing, it probably means nothing to God. I wasn't taught that. And for many years, I struggled with the law of giving. You got to give, you got to give, you got to give. But then, number two, second thing I want to tell you, I give because giving frees my heart from the deceitfulness of wealth. And it causes me to bind my heart to God and trust God. Giving frees my heart from the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of riches. Now, look, if you would, at verse number five, the same chapter. It's where we stopped reading earlier. Verse five of, of Genesis four. But God did not respect Cain in his offering. Notice the words. It wasn't just that God looked at Cain's offering and said, no, 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 I don't respect that. It says that God did not respect Cain or his offering. Why? Because God knew Cain's heart. See, it's, it's not about what I give to God. It's the heart that produces that. Because if I refuse to give to God, I'm saying, God, I don't need you involved in my life. I don't need to worship you in this way. I'll worship you the way I want to worship you, and you need to be happy with it. But when I give to God what he wants, God smiles upon that offering. So it says God did not respect Cain or his offering. It goes on to say, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He went from this to happy to sad because of what was going on in his heart. Now look at verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Notice verse 7. These words are so powerful. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, if you do what's right, if you do what I asked you to do, I'll accept it the same way I accepted your brother and his offering. He goes on to say this. And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door. Sin lies on your doorstep. And sin's desire is to consume you. But you need to learn how to rule over it. See, when I give to God and my heart is right, my giving to God frees me from the deceitfulness of wealth. Because wealth is deceitful. People think money is the answer to everything. Now, I, I use this illustration all the time, and some of you are tired of hearing it, but some of you haven't heard it before. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are buying lottery tickets because they think, well, if I can win the lottery, I can quit trusting God. Hello? That's almost as funny as the guy pulling on the vacuum cleaner cord, isn't it? If I could just win the lottery, what, what, would, what would you do? I, I wouldn't have to worry about trusting God to be my source. You see, my giving separates me from the, the grab and the bondage, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It begins to free me from that. 
And by giving becomes an expression of the heart that says, God, I trust you to be first in my life. You are everything to me. Let me ask you a question. Cain, Cain gives his offering. God doesn't accept it. And it says his countenance falls. He gets all upset. He's all down. And God says, why are you down? If you do what's right, I'll receive it. Let me ask a question today. To every Christian in the house, why do you get upset when somebody talks about giving to God? I used to get upset sometimes. All these guys talk, boy, special TV preachers, they're the worst, man. I'm at 3 o'clock in the morning. If you'll send me $1,017, you'll never have another problem the rest of your life, you know. I know there are snake oil salesmen out there. I get that. But listen to me. Why is it? that I would get upset when people would talk about giving to God and trusting God. It's because there was an issue in my heart that hadn't been settled. It's because I, if I could just hang on to this, I can do more with that money than God can do with it. So I, I need to control that area of my life myself. It's interesting how giving lifts our spirits. Have you ever noticed when you give how much better you feel? I mean, for some people, it's at first, writing that check's hard. But once you give, isn't it amazing how our hearts are lifted when we give? It's amazing. And I was looking this week. You know, when, when God began to develop the nation of Israel, he gave them law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, Paul said in the New Testament, that the law was given to show us our sin. You don't become righteous by living by the rules. You become righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. The commandment simply showed you all the places where you fell short. So I was reading through the, new, the, the Ten Commandments this week. Commandment number one is God says, I am God, I'm the only God, and I want to be your God. I want to be first in your life. Don't have any other gods before me. It's number one. When I give to God, I'm declaring you are the God of my life, and I have no other gods. When I give my first and my best, I make God my God and my source. The second commandment is, you shall have no graven images. People have all kinds of idols today. Houses, cars, jewelry, clothes, people, animals. People create all kinds of gods in their lives. You know, and I say this all the time, you know. I claim God as my God. But God knows what's going on in our hearts. You show me your checkbook, and I'll show you who your God is. Everybody smile at me. There are a lot of times I used to pray, oh, God, I'm giving you this today, but I missed, I missed last week. And, but, oh, God, I pray you don't look at my checkbook. Because there were other things that were first before God. But then I begin to learn the second lesson. That when I give to God, it frees my heart from the deceitfulness of wealth, binds my heart to God. So, number one, have no other gods before me. Number two, don't build any images. And then you get down to the 10th commandment, and it says this. You shall not covet what other people have. Wow. You shall not start scheming to figure out how you can get what other people have got. You shouldn't wrap your heart around other people's possessions. Did you know when you give to God and you put your trust in God, it frees your heart from that spirit of covetousness? It does. 
But it was amazing. I was claiming God's blessings. I was claiming God's promises. And he was doing good things in my life. I mean, I, I had no complaints. But it was never, at the, at the end of the month, there was always a shortage. It just was never there. And so I'd wait to the end of the pay period and see, okay, can I give to God or can I not give to God? And what I didn't understand was my giving to God was worship, calling him my God. And then I was putting my trust in him to take care of other things in my life. And I had to learn that for myself because my heart was tied around taking care of my family and having the car and having the home and having this and having that. Oh God, I know you want me to have these things, so I'm going to get them. And I ask you to bless me along the way. My heart was wrong because God was second, third, sometimes fourth. Jesus said this, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God in wealth. That's what Jesus said, not my words. You can't serve God in wealth. You're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to push one away and grab hold of the other one and hang on to it. Who's first in my life? So as I begin to walk my own journey and talk to people and deal with people, I learned something. A lot of us, including me at the time, back at that time, a lot of us were walking around with this dirty little secret. We'd go to church, oh, hallelujah, glory to God, I'm wonderful, I'm a saint. You see how high my hands are? Uh, I won't raise my hands because you might see my belly under here, but <laughs> oh, I'm so wonderful, oh, Jesus is great. Everybody see this, man, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm great. But yet deep down inside there's this dirty little secret that I have a problem with money and giving. And so I learned to hide it. I mean, I gave when I could, but when I couldn't, had a thousand excuses for it. God wasn't first. Let me, let me illustrate this to you. We got a lot of young people here. I, we got some moms and dads. We don't have any old people here today. That's great. Uh, just young and middle-aged. I want 10 people. I need, to, need 10 people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I want this front row right here. Come and stand right here. 10 right there. Come up and join me. Stand right here, just side by side. I want to show this to you. Just stand side by side and turn and face congregation, okay? Make room for everybody. There we go. 10 people. This is a representation of the church, okay? This is a reputation. I want, I want you to picture this as the church. I began to study church growth. I began to study things about church many years ago. And here's what I found. Here, I want you two to slide over about three steps, okay? Just create a gap right here. One more step. Take one more big step. There you go. Here's what I found when you start studying churches. In the church, 20% of the people, two out of 10, 20% of the people give 80% of the money the church 80 percent of the people give 20 percent of the money you know what's more interesting 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the serving in the church 80 percent of the people do 20 percent of the serving in the church it's across the board you know what's interesting it's been that way for 40 years that i know of that principle is still at work today some churches it's a little higher some churches it's a little bit lower but that's a rule of thumb and what I realized was, I'm the pastor, I'm over here preaching the 20%, but sometimes I was over here with the 80% when it came to money. 
because I knew the what you need to give, but I didn't understand the why and it had never been settled in my heart. Thank you guys. Give them a hand for helping me, okay? <laughs> what I finally began to understand several years ago, my unwillingness, my refusal to give to God and honor God became sin on my doorstep. And I remember the night that God changed my heart. I remember the night that God adjusted it and began to help me understand the, whole, the why behind the what. I remember the night well when God changed my heart and my whole life began to change. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, when I say no, no, I, I, I can't afford to give to God. I, I can't give this. God wants it. He asks for it. But no, I refuse to honor God in this way. It's amazing how it opens the doors to cutting corners and cheating and being dishonest in all kinds of situations in life. And it does. Now, go back to Genesis 4. I want to show you something. We're almost finished this morning. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I want you to see the contrast here. God rejected one sacrifice. He accepted the other. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. No doubt they talked about what had just happened. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. It's the first family. You see the dysfunction here? I mean, you wonder why your family's messed up. Well, they've been dealing with this since the beginning, okay? I mean, picture this. The oldest brother kills the second-born brother. They're grown men. He kills him. Why? Because he's angry because God accepted his sacrifice and blessed him, and God wasn't blessing him. He kills his own brother. Scripture tells us, James 3, 16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But giving releases us from those things. But then Abel, I mean, think about this. Cain kills his brother. The story goes on. God puts some kind of mark on him, and the rest of his life, everybody knows that this dude did something really bad in the sight of God. He rejected God and became a murderer of his own brother. And that's the end of the story with Cain. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through that, he being dead still speaks to us today. He died young. But his story is still speaking to us today. You love God? I remember the night when God changed my heart and I, I was standing in church service and I was just weeping because I was in a weird place in life going through a lot of stuff and I was laying it all out talking to God about it and I'll never forget as long as I live, God made an adjustment in my heart that night. And as I stood there broken, I realized, I realized 
my heart was not wrapped totally around God. Even though my words were, my heart was not. And it showed up in my worship because worship comes at the cost. Now, I'm, next week, I'm going to finish this message. I'm going to talk to you about sowing and reaping and how God wants to bless our lives. But I'm going to tell you something. Before we get to that, I want you to understand, that night as I stood there broken, I realized the only thing I had left in life was God. And God spoke so clearly and said, this is all you got left, but this is all that you need. I'm all you need. I need to be first in your life. I need to be first. As I close this morning, I've not shared this to offend anyone. If you want to be offended, that's your choice. But what I learned was there was an immaturity in my spiritual life. And it all related back to my willingness to give to God and trust Him. Now, highlight of my month is twice a month when I get paid to sit down and give back to God for the way He's blessed me. Keeps my heart wrapped around Him. Keeps my heart moved away from other things. And now I see God's hand at work blessing my life. I'll talk about that more next week. I want to pray today. I want to pray a two-fold prayer. And I'm going to ask nobody move unless you absolutely have to. I want to pray for you today. Two-fold prayer. Number one, just bow your heads for a moment. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray today that every person who's heard this message would just open their heart to you and receive from you. It's not about me and my story. It's about them and their story. But God, teach us, number one, that worship giving cannot be separated that worship comes at the cost that you've asked us to bring our first and our best God help us to see that then Father second of all I pray you'd help us to see if we'd be willing to do what you asked that you would break us free from the things in life that pull us down and hold us back and interfere with our relationship with you you would clear our conscience because you would become first in our lives God, do that work today Take your word and let it be a personal message that fits in everyone's heart just the way you want it to work. In Jesus' name I pray. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just before we finish today, I know it's an unusual Sunday. We talk about giving once every year, maybe twice, uh, maybe every other year. We don't, we don't take a lot of Sundays to teach on giving. But maybe as you've listened to this today, maybe God's just knocking on the door of your heart and maybe you've never committed your life to God. Maybe you've never made him first in your life. Or maybe you once knew God, but you've gotten so far away you feel like the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. Maybe you're sitting here today and maybe deep down inside you're realizing, God, I just need to open my heart and let you start working in me. Can I tell you, God loves you so much he put his own son on a cross to bring you into relationship as his son, his daughter. And right now, if, if he's knocking on the door of your heart, what's going on is God's saying, I want you to be my child, but he needs you to say, okay, okay. And we do that with words, with prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to ask everyone in this house to open your heart and wrap your heart around these words. You don't have to scream out the words, but I'm going to ask everybody here, just pray this prayer with me and open your heart to God. Pray this. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. 
Please come into my life. Become my God. I need you to be my father. I want to be your child. I want to know you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And I accept Jesus as my Savior and as the Lord of my life. I give my life back to you. Teach me your ways. I want you involved in every area of my life because you are my Father and I am your child. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, that's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of this relationship. It's not about religion. It's about being in relationship with God, Him being the Father, you being His child. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. I want to give it to you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or if you've just been away from God or you don't know how to walk with God, we want to give you one of these booklets, The Next Seven Days. Here's how you get it. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anybody for any need. But if you just walk to the front and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you want to ask some questions, if you want to visit, you want prayer for something else, they're here to help you. If you just want to get the book and go, that's fine. If you're in a big rush, you can go out to the lobby and across the lobby just before you exit, there's a table right there and a sign up that says next seven days, starting your walk with God. We want to give you this tool to help you build start that relationship with God. We're so glad you prayed that prayer today. Can we just put our hands together and welcome new members into God's family?